<laughs> you should all thank the Lord uh, you weren't at the eight. Uh, I had a homily uh, I worked on, and then it all changed Friday when I started uh, reading a history book called uh, Dominion, and it changed my whole homily. And so at the eight, I gave both. Uh, and I think three hours later, we were leaving church. And uh, so I, I went home and started crossing off the old notes uh, just to spare you any pain. Poor Dr. Sia, she's here. She was at the eight, both of them, if you know what I mean. It was that long. What we're going to look at today is our first reading. Uh, it is uh, invaluable, and I've almost never preached on it because the gospel is so packed. But this book I'm reading, uh, and I don't know if you're familiar, and of course the author's name just left my head, but I, I love to read Roman history. And this is written by a man who has written two history books now about the radical importance of Christianity in human history. And what's remarkable is he's an atheist. He does not believe what we believe. But he's one of the few historians out there who doesn't reduce 2,000 years of the Christian church to the Crusades and the Inquisition. He actually looks at 2,000 years. And it is a remarkable thing to read him in what he describes as his, quote, his ridiculous love for the Catholic faith. Um, but one of the things this book, at least I'm chapter one, so who knows where this is going, yeah? But in chapter one, what he wrote about was the abject insanity of the fact that he's writing a book based on a religion about a guy who got crucified 2,000 years ago. And he's like, this is completely insane. There was nothing appealing in that day and age to saying, uh, there's one God, we killed him, uh, and he wants you to behave differently. For most people in that era, religion and morality had no connection. You worshiped the gods and did whatever you wanted. Judaism and Christianity said your worship of God is kind of useless if it doesn't make you a moral person. And your morality, it's kind of useless if it doesn't come from worship. That just blew everybody away. It was such a crazy idea. And he's like, so what is it? How did this bizarre faith blow up? And the first thing he wrote about was this passage. And then some of the secular passages written at the time where the non-Christians we're just astounded by this freaky little group that loved each other. They, they didn't know what to do with that data. That people would look at the Christians with their very bizarre religion and say, whatever else, they sure love each other. And if you look at Acts, it, it's, it's written this way. People were in awe of how the Christians loved each other. So what we're going to do is take a look at some of uh, the marks of that community. Because here's the thing, right? We can treat this church as a place where we come and knock out an obligation, right? We can do that. It'll actually still do us great good, but that's the minimal, right? I'm going to come here once a week. I'm going to worship God. 
get my communion, hear the beautiful word of the Lord, and then I'm just going to move on, right? Jesus gets six days, uh, or I'm sorry, I get six days and 22 hours. Uh, we're going to get Jesus a couple of two hours, and that'll work. And honestly, it'll do you a ridiculous amount of good. But there's another thing possible here, and that's that you and I are a community, that we live the type of community together in the name of Jesus that causes other people to say, what? What, what is this that they love each other so much? This is uh, what we're going to look at then because it's what the Christians pulled off. Again, with their ridiculous religion based on a God who got killed. So the first hallmark is their togetherness. Not that they had it together. These people are train wrecks. But they were always together every chance they had. If you look at this passage again, which we heard over and over, well, they did this together, they did that together, and then they did this together. Togetherness is a huge part of community. It means we get to know each other. It means we work together with a common mission beyond, I go to church. It means that you and I are willing to fight for this relationship. Now, it's hard because although we are perfect, the people around us are not. Yeah? It's tough. Community is hard. I was in seminary for, I don't know, five years, right? I did five years at a secular college, uh, and then I did five at seminary. It takes 10 years to make a priest. Um, and seminary, I liked because it was a lot of school, and I, I love to read. I need help. But here was the hard thing about seminary. There were 86 of us in this massive building back when there used to be a ton of priests and seminarians, right? And so you wake up and you start with morning prayer in community at 6 a.m. Before Jesus wakes up. Actually, we woke him up. Uh, and then from that point, 6 a.m. until 9 p.m., Monday through Saturday, every day, all day, you saw the same people. You sat next to the same guy at prayer. And you know there are people who can't pray in rhythm, right? And they might go to hell. I don't know, uh, right? But you know those, the Lord be with you and with your spirit. It's like, it's not a race, dude. You know, uh, you can do it with everybody else, yeah? And at first, it's an irritant. Year two, it's a good justification for murder, yeah? <laughs> that guy who makes noises when he eats that sounds like a Tyrannosaurus Rex, um, one of those Jurassic Park movies, this is why, this is why violence happens, yes? Five years, 24-7, six days a week, you see the same people. And whenever I think about marriage, I just want to applaud all of you who are married. Yeah, six years I almost died. Uh, some of you are on 40, and uh, I don't know, and two of you, there's nowhere to hide, yeah? You're all going to heaven. Um, I told you this. People always, oh, Father, it's so thank you for choosing celibacy. I'm like, no, no, I'm good. I'm, I'm great. Yeah. Watched baseball last night, you know. 
togetherness is hard. But we got to commit to it because our God is a community. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And what it means is we put up with the fact that everything isn't exactly as we think it should be. It means that we look at each other and we extend the mercy we pine for. When people hear, oh, I'm, I'm a member of Holy Family, what's the next sentence? What's our next sentence? This is really important because this is how we express community. For us, what we want to remember is that we're all doing our best or we wouldn't be here. And everyone from the folks who volunteer at the parish, the folks who work here, myself, you, all of us, yeah, anybody can sit there and go, well, here's what you should be doing. Well, then you do it. Yeah? Or extend some mercy. I bet you're doing your best. We can offer each other something the world literally is incapable of. Peace. You're okay, man. I love you right now. Our togetherness can really speak to other people. The fact that we say, I don't need you to have it right. I just need you to be here with me. Generosity was a hallmark of this community. Sacrifice, however you want to put it. That the early Christian community sacrificed for each other. Now, I don't want to belabor this point. I did at the eight, ask poor Dr. Sia. I don't think we get how people lived back then, but to give you a sense of things, and this comes from um, Mike Duncan's book, uh, The uh, Roman Empire, and he talked about how in the first century AD, the city of Rome had a million people, right? And in, in that million people, 12 families, controlled 98% of the wealth, 12. So everybody else basically lived day to day. You woke up in the morning and you worked your tail off to earn enough to get food for dinner that night. The average Roman in Rome ate one meal a day. That's all they could afford. And it was, a, you know, there was pasta, so come on, how bad could it be? That was kind of funny. That's the nice thing about Italian food. The possibilities are endless. Can I throw that in there? All right. People were poor. And not two houses and five iPhones poor. Legit poor. And they took that poverty as a kind of freedom. Money has no power over me. If you need it and I've got it, it's yours. Why? Well, you're a child of God. A Christian community is together. A Christian community sacrifices. Be it time, you know, I hate the cliche, but time, talent, or treasure. Whatever is needed, if I can do it, I'm in. I'm here. And people saw that. And again, as you heard, they were in awe. They were in awe of the togetherness of that Christian community. They were in awe of their generosity. The other thing that was a hallmark was their gratitude. They were grateful. Quote, they ate their meals in gratitude. 
Gratitude's tough. It is. Because it sounds like such a simple thing. And it sounds kind of harmless. But I'm telling you, it's one of the most important traits we can have. We should be grateful for each other. Grateful for this beautiful faith. Grateful for our God. There's so much to be grateful for. Just when we gather and pray, I'm grateful for all of you. I mean it. I'm grateful for our choir. I'm grateful for poor Sia who had to hear that homily at the eight and now he has to hear this one. We'll see what happens at noon. I'm grateful, guys, and we should be grateful. Instead of saying, well, look at what that person isn't doing or, or he or she's doing that wrong or why don't they do it? They're doing. Take it. Be grateful. There's so much that we can sit here and cherry pick with what's wrong. What about what's right? What about what's beautiful? I remember when I was a kid, uh, they'd read those passages in the gospel where Jesus did a miracle on the Sabbath and that the response of the religious people was to yell at Jesus for doing it wrong. Right? You remember these? There's like 10 of them. He healed a man who, who was born with a withered hand, but he did it on the Sabbath. It's against the rules, big guy. Sorry. I remember when I was a kid, I was like, who does that? And then I grew up and went, oh, we all do. Yeah? We walk away from a miracle like this. And we're like, well, that could have been better. We need to be grateful, guys. All of us. And then a final mark, and I love this, is they were sincere, it says. They were sincere. And I don't remember if I've taught you about this before, but we're going to talk about the word sincere because this is why they pay me the big bucks. Yeah? It's two words in Latin. Sine cere. Hey, and as far as I know, St. Paul was actually the first person to use this word the way he did. Okay? Sine means without. Cere means wax. So the early Christians handed out Q-tips no, it's not true at all. <laughs> without wax. <laughs> Sorry, that is not in my notes. Uh, where are we going? Okay, Romans were pagans, right? They had tons of gods. And they all had this thing. Actually, our concept of cupboards comes from the Romans who would build these little alcoves with doors where they'd put all their little statues of all their little gods. So if you're starting something new, you go to the cupboard and you pull out um, Janus, right? The God of new beginnings. If you are interested, boy, I, I'd love to know this person, you know, uh, looking at a marriage or what. Then you reach in the cupboard, you pull out, uh, oh boy, I just, Venus. Yeah. You want to put a curse? You go get Pluto. Right? They have all these different gods and a little statue for each one. And if you wanted to make some money and you could carve some wood, well, then make statues and sell them. People bought them all the time. The problem is, of course, the statues are made out of wood and the tools are very rudimentary by our standards. Chisel and hammer. And it's inevitable that as you're banging out a statue, there's mistakes, there's scars, there's cracks, there's breaks. Now, when you go to sell that statue, the less cracks, the less breaks, the more valuable it is. So some people who were not entirely reputable would dye wax the color of the wood, 
and they would fill in all the cracks and all the gaps. So you'd look and go, that statue is perfect. I know. Right? And then you got to pay top money for it. So you pay top money for this perfect statue and you take it home and it's Rome in July or August, which means it's 3,000 degrees Fahrenheit and the wax melts. Wait a minute, it's got a ton of cracks. It's got a million little scars. So when you go to buy the statue, if the person was saying, this is as it is, right? There's no wax here, sine chatty. Here's all the scars and all the imperfections. That's what we do, hopefully, with each other. We walk in those doors with all of our scars, with all of our scrapes, with all of our imperfections. This is messy me. I'm here to be loved by God and you. And we got to extend that love to each other. Extend that sincerity to each other. This is me without wax. And then say to those, when we see their scars and imperfections, I love you. God loves you. These are the four, four of the hallmarks that that, that that Christian community lives so well that people converted without even knowing who Jesus was. If whatever you believe makes you like that, I'm in. So many of our early Christian martyrs hadn't even been baptized. But the witness of Christian community was so ridiculously strong that all they knew was, whatever this is, it's got to be true. So let's strive for it. Let's work at this. Live Christian community well. To be the absolute, in the name of Jesus, best version of ourselves possible. I'm not going to try to fix you. I'm not going to try to change you. I'm going to try to serve you. And I'll let God change me. Yeah. So we will strive, in the name of Jesus, to be defined by our togetherness, by our generosity and sacrifice, by our gratitude, and by our sincerity. And this will speak to people. This will heal us. But most important, it will give honor to our Heavenly Father. Amen? Amen. Okay.